Welcome in the latest episode that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo here, but just for a moment, because we landed just one of the most elite guests we've ever had, someone that I've been dying to get on this show for since I launched it, really. Chris Lowe, ESPN senior writer. He's a must read. Everything he publishes over at ESPN.com. He's covered the SEC. He's covered many teams within the league for decades, literally. So uh, great stories. He's the one, of course, that broke the news that Nick Saban was retiring. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Talk about Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, many others, Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. A great conversation coming up here in just a moment with Chris Lowe of ESPN. But before we get to that, Man, momentum, momentum, momentum. That's how you describe the Missouri football program right now. And here on Monday, if you missed it, this is only going to continue. Missouri is here to stay as an upper echelon team in the SEC. The Tigers officially announced a $62 million donation has been given to the football program with $50 million of that designed to upgrade Memorial Stadium. And this is... Maybe even more fascinating part of this 62, again, 62 million, 62 billion donated to Missouri by an anonymous donor, did not want to be known. And no, it was not Cousin Shane. If he had it, he probably he probably would give it to Bazoo after living up to his height. But so 50 million to improve Memorial Stadium, but 12 million specifically given to the Tiger Scholarship Fund which is their NIL collective. So th- this is wild, but this is where we're at in college football where people donate these, and this is the largest donation in Missouri history. I, I believe this this is uh, more than doubles the previous largest donation in Missouri history here, which was given back in 2012. But $12, mil- 12 million specifically for NIL and Again, I think that's fascinating because Mizzou fans see it. They're donating to the program. We just won 11 games, just beat the hell out of Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. It's awesome to see a program on the rise and the supporters get behind it, particularly supporters who have been told for years they don't belong in the SEC. Why the hell is this this program in here? That's what we heard for years and years and years. Why why do you guys even talk Missouri? They're not they're not even legitimate. Well, they just whooped damn near everybody they faced in the conference last season. Fell short to uh, the Heisman Trophy winner in, in Georgia, which was arguably the best team in the country. Had they you know, had their opportunity to prove it in the playoff, they they probably would have won the whole damn thing. So Missouri is here. They're here to stay. And if we, if we continue to get donations like this, th- this is what it takes to compete big boy football. They're winning five-star recruiting battles like Luther Burden, like Williams and Awari, players that everybody in the country wants. They're staying home. They're stealing guys. Well, stealing is probably not the right word, but we ain't backing down from it. Stealing players from Oklahoma and Ohio State and things of that nature. This is what it takes to stay at the top of the SEC. Mizzou is firmly right now 
at, in the upper echelon of a conference that has only gotten more difficult with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. But Missouri's in that top four, top five range now. Donations like this are going to keep them there, giving Eli Drinkowitz an extension after winning 11 football games. That's going to keep you there. And it's not even being discussed. I know we're all excited about Brady Cook. Remember this time last year, we were all excited about Sam Horn. Where You haven't heard Sam Horn entering the transfer portal. You know, that that's college football, where if a guy's going to have to sit, he's out. We're not seeing that at Sam Horn because we're paying Sam Horn. We're developing him. He's got faith in the coaching staff. Coaching staff isn't pushing him out the door by any means, but I, I think keeping touted backups, I think that says something about the Missouri Tigers. Now, we'll see the future position, how long Brady Cook – I know there's been some debate how many years of eligibility he has, but he has another great year. He's probably off to the NFL in a perfect world. And then Sam Horn steps up, and he's your star of the future. But I think it says something about the Missouri Tigers that you don't see Sam Horn rushing to leave the program, even though he's likely going to have to sit for another season, barring any kind of uh, unforeseen injury or something like that to Brady Cook, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. But just wanted to, to shine a light on Missouri and their continued effort to improve this team, to make them one of the best in the SEC. And now the fans are doing their part. This is what it takes. Everyone pushing in the right direction. And that's what we currently have in Columbia, Missouri. And after being trashed for over a decade, they deserve all the praise going their way. Now, one other team on the rise and, and someone that we're going to talk to with uh, Chris Lowe here in just a second. But I just thought this was hilarious. On a similar theme, Ole Miss, they're on the same rise because they're because of leadership, because of Lane Kiffin, because of the vision and the plan ever since we went to the NIL and transfer portal world, who has been dominating it, who is looking ahead and saying, you know, let's utilize this free agency, get everything we can out of it, and if you ain't living up to your potential, if you are not doing what you got to do, your ass going to get replaced in a heartbeat, that's Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, and, and Hell, half the roster may be on a one-year contract, and people have been saying for years, this is not a way to build a program. Those same people are now saying Ole Miss is a playoff contender, so you can't have it both ways. Ole Miss is doing you know, their own thing, and it is paying off in a big, big way there in Oxford. And now, I just thought this was great. ESPN, many of their writers picking Ole Miss to make the college football playoff. We'll throw it up here on the screen, but what was Kiffin's reaction as the goat would say to the rabbit, that right there is rat poison. And if you don't get the reference of the rabbit, that's exactly what we're going to talk about here with our guest, Chris Lowe, senior writer, ESPN. This is an outstanding interview. This was truly a pleasure to have him on the show. So, hey, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Chris Lowe. Everybody knows who that is, ESPN senior writer. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, it uh, you know, forever I think you're going to be known, Chris. You know, people know you for for just outstanding work you've been doing for ESPN over the years. I, I know you've covered many teams around the the conference before that, but I think forever you're going to be known now as the man that broke the news that Nick Saban was retiring. Uh, I'm just kind of curious how many people reached out to you immediately after that and said. Chris, have you been hacked? Is this is this legitimate? Is this is this news real? Because it just it just happened in the middle of the day, and and it it took a lot of people, uh, you know, just just caught them up by surprise. 
You're right. Actually, I did get a ton of those type calls, text messages, calls from people that friends of mine, in the media, um, other people just texting or direct messages wanting to know, hey, is, it, is this legit? Because that happens, as you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people in the media do get hacked sometimes with either parody accounts or they just like get hacked. So, I mean, I got it. And in, in fact, when, when I got the news that he was retiring, and I put it out there pretty quickly because, as you know, in real time, people – those things happen fast. And, and when he told his players, you know, every 18, 19, 20, 20 year old is on social media. So you knew that was probably going to get out there pretty quickly. So I did my best to get it out there fast. So in the middle of the day, as you said, I think a lot of people wondered, was that legit? And you know what? I probably would have too. Had, had I seen you or anybody else reported that at that point in the media, I probably, my first question would, would, would have been, is this legit? Is this somebody's legitimate, uh, Twitter account, or I guess it's X now. So I understand completely. I would have had that same, those same questions. Yeah, and I have to commend you as well. You you put out, uh, you co-authored a story with Henry Lyles here on ESPN recently, untold stories of Nick Saban from the coaches who work with him. And you you guys did a great job going around and, and talking to uh, like Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin, Dan Lanning, Mario Cristobal, many of the coaches that have worked under Coach Saban. I'm just curious, and, and I recommend everybody go read that story on ESPN.com, but are there any uh, – was there one particular story that, that kind of stood out to you more than any other? <laughs> there are lots of them. I, I wish – you know, that was story was long enough as it was. And, I, you know, when you're doing a long story, you always – I mean, I know I do. I think most writers do. You always think to yourself, is this going to be so long that people are just going to get bogged down in it and, quit reading it because that happens to me sometimes so you're, you you want to make sure you you get a lot of good information but you get the best stuff in so there was a lot of stuff that got left on the cutting room floor so to speak that i think would have probably been pretty good but it just the story went on forever anyway but i guess the um you know we all heard about the the uh, tumultuous time that, that kiffin and, and nick spent together during their time in alabama there were there were tons of stories that that, that lane told me Got most of them in there. I guess the one about him purposely going vanilla on offense because Nick had gotten on to him the day before about throwing you know double passes and running reverses and doing things outside their core, what they're supposed to be running, core offense, core defense. And, and uh, you know, so as Lane himself said, Lane being Lane, the next day he's under center. They're running, you know, third and eight to run off tackle. They're running zone. And, in, you know, they're in their meetings, and, and Nick's like, what the hell are you doing, Lane? What, why are we not running? What are we doing under center, third and eight, third and nine? And he's like, Coach, I just felt like that's what you want us to run against your defense. And, of course, all hell broke loose at that point. I, that was my favorite story. And saving, clearing the staff room out and just absolutely dressing, laying down. And then, and then the, to me, the, the clincher is him coming up with the kids – character pj funny bunny who in, in sort of referring to lane as the bunny and to this day when you talk to lane and some of his staff guys were in there guys like charlie weiss jr who was there then uh, they can't mention that story without literally just dying laughing the bunny they keep saying the bunny you gotta tell the bunny story well the bunny story is there's this kid's character this kid's book little kid's book where there's a bunny pj funny bunny who goes around you know, wreaking havoc, creating chaos wherever he goes. And and that's what's, what's what Nick referred to as Kiffin, which, by the way, is probably a pretty good comparison, the way he, he acted most of the time when he was there. 
And 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 Lane would tell you, Lane would tell you the same thing. That he probably deserved every bit of it. Well, you've been covering uh, Lane Kiffin for a long time now, and uh, you know I, I definitely wanted to ask you about him and, and everything going on at Ole Miss. They they seem to be one of the the teams that is the biggest you know kind of story of college football on, on what they're they're trying to do with with adding free agents, as Lane Kiffin calls it, and and not only that, but but staff continuity, and I think more importantly having the players return that, that they had last year, a lot of experienced players. Do you think uh, Lane is capable of leading this Ole Miss team to the college football playoff? You know, it's a different landscape than it was last year, five years ago with 12 teams. And it's not – you don't have to be perfect anymore. You, you Think about it. The last couple of years, if you didn't win the SEC or maybe have one loss and then have – you know, a big win over somebody else like a Georgia, Alabama, you were getting in. Now, all of a sudden, I think most years, the top three or four teams from the SEC are going to get in. So there's more margin for error. So, yeah, I think Ole Miss has an excellent chance to get in. Now, what what I'll say, Lane has sort of figured it out on how to navigate his way through this era. He's worked the portal. They've been really good at keeping the players they wanted to keep. I know everybody says, what about Quinshawn Judkins? I don't think there are a lot of tears spilled in Oxford when he left. I don't think that was something that they felt like it was time for him to leave. And Quinshawn felt like it was time for him to leave probably um, best for both parties. But when you look at the way they've been able to sort of stock up on their, their offensive and defensive lines, they've continued to bring in playmakers uh, at the offensive skill positions. You, you keep a Jackson Dart who's now in his going to be in his third year as a starter. I mean, r- rarely more in the SEC, do you find a quarterback who's been starting for three years at the same school? And that's what Ole Miss has in Jackson Dart. So, no, I like what they you – know, Trey Harris returns at receiver. He had some injuries that plagued him last year. I like their roster. It's clearly the best roster Lane's had since he's been at Oxford. And I don't think there's going to be what you would call an easy schedule in the SEC next year. But I do think when you look at all the schedules and compare them, Ole Miss might be as manageable as any of them. So I think when you add all those things together, then I think the Rebels have a really good chance to be in the playoff next year. And another team, similarly, Chris, picking up momentum, the the NIL, they see them align. They just announced a uh, anonymous donation of, of some $60 million, I believe, is, is the Missouri Tigers coming off an 11-win season. Do you think uh, under Drink, that uh, this is sustainable, and not that they're going to win 11 games every year or anything, but they have a another, if you want to call it, favorable schedule upcoming. I think it's reasonable for Missouri fans to say, why can't we win 10 games again, and and per- perhaps they can make a, a playoff run. I'll say this, the window is, is there this year again for Missouri. And you're right, unless you're Georgia – or LSU or Alabama and the SEC, it's hard to say every year you're going to have that window where you can win 10, 11 games. But I do think it's there again for Missouri. Bring back your quarterback. And, and it, as much as was talked about last year about what they did on offense, to me the un, the untold story of Missouri's season was how good they were on defense. And I know they lost their defensive coordinator, but I still think they have built and been able to develop enough depth and, and, and develop the kind of talent there in their front seven that they're going to be – a force again on defense. And I think that's where you've got you, – you just can't win every game 41-38. And, and Missouri, I think, has got to that point defensively under drink where they can win games where they hold people down defensively. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think the, the the investment 
monetarily that the, the boosters and now the NIL world, NIL world they're making there inside that program has made a big difference. I think the patience, you know, there are a lot of some restlessness there a couple of years ago with drink. Is he the guy? Can he get it done? Uh, and I think we've seen now when you have patience with guys who are making progress and are winning on the recruiting trail. That's the thing. You know, they went and got Luther Bird the third there next, you know, right there in their home state in St. Louis. Everybody in the world wanted him. And I think when you keep a kid that highly rated, that talented at home, that sort of sends a message that you're on the right track. I think to me that was as big a win as any they had, and I think it's just sort of manifested its, itself after. 2024 is, is just such a uh, unique year in college football with with the SEC and the Big Ten expanding, and and obviously we're, we're so excited down here for Texas and Oklahoma coming to the league, the expansion of the playoff, and all that goes with it. But specifically Texas and Oklahoma, is there anything that, that comes to mind, Chris, when you, you sit here and say, I'm most looking forward to this when Texas and Oklahoma are officially in the league come, uh, I believe it's July 1st. But uh, does anything stand out that, that you're more excited than anything else? Uh, how many different fan bases flash the horns down <laughs> sign when the, when the Longhorns roll into town? You think that's going to happen any in the SEC? All those SEC fan bases are so nice and, and, and they're so willing to sort of play nice with you when you come into town. Of course, you know, I'm being facetious, but uh, I think the roster that Sarks built at, at Texas, and, and yes, they lose some really good players right there in the middle of their defensive line in particular. But I think, the again, the you know, he, he was at Alabama. He saw there in 2020 that mo monstrous machine that Alabama put together on both sides of the lines of scrimmage, what it takes. And I think he's working and, and moving in that direction there at Texas to building that. Um, you know, they've got, I think, to me, one of the more fascinating storylines at Texas is they got two quarterbacks. You know, is is Arch going to sit for another year? I'd say he probably will. Viewers, um, can he stay healthy? Uh, or is there a way they can use both those guys? I don't. I don't know. But it's it's a nice problem to have. You know, in this day and age, it's hard to keep two really good quarterbacks on your roster. And when you can, that's a huge plus because we've seen over and over again where a guy gets hurt, maybe has a bad stretch. Um, he's, you know, maybe it's just a couple games where he's not 100%. So I think that's the thing. And I think for Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma to me had a – was a little bit of a weird season last year. They beat Texas in the Red River game, but they can't beat Oklahoma State. And, and I would I would agree that there were some calls in that game that could have easily gone the other way. You know, the last Bedlam game for the foreseeable future. Uh, and then, you know, they're, so they're not able to sort of cash in with their win over Texas and get into the Big 12 championship game. So I think how they how they respond, um, you know, D Dylan Gabriel's gone. Uh, how they respond in their first year in the SEC will be interesting. Um, but I just think overall, Texas and OU fit that SEC-centric um, feel. You know, that they, they – I understand they're, they're located there in the – you know, that part of the Texas Oklahoma region, but when, you know, having covered the SEC as long as I have, they both have that sort of SEC DNA to me in them. Fan bases, their tradition, how much it means, how much football means, how much the universities are willing to invest in football. Uh, all those things are very much like the SEC. I think they'll fit perfectly. Uh, I do think it'll be 
a little bit of a culture shock on the field when you're playing those teams. And not, not that the SEC from 1 to 14 is heads and shoulders above every other conference in the country, but the grind is what gets you. And, and any coach that I've ever talked to that coached in the SEC and went to coach elsewhere will tell you the week-to-week grind is what's different about the SEC. It's not that on any given Saturday that Clemson – couldn't beat somebody in the SEC. Oregon couldn't beat somebody in the SEC. It's that week-to-week-to-week grind of having to play that style, uh, the kind of you know muscle and bulk you see in the line of scrimmage, plus the speed across the league. It'll be interesting to see how Texas and, and Oklahoma adjust to that. I think they will find. It may take a little bit, but I think they both are built. They both have coaches who understand it, you know, that type of uh, – that type of play and that type of style, but I look forward to it. I think it's, you know, you're right. Oregon and Washington and SC and UCLA going to the big 10 will make it different next year uh, in, in college football, sort of those cross country trips. But when you look at teams moving to another conference, you know, you got Cal and SMU, uh, the, the Cal, I can't wait to see that Cal, I'm sort of Joe Cal, Georgia tech or Stanford, um, Clemson, <laughs> Not that they play next year, but that seems a little weird. But OU in Texas and the SEC doesn't, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They seem to fit, you know, as they move from the Big 12 to the SEC. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, I know you know the Tennessee program as well as anybody covering them for, for decades. Do you, to me, Chris, you, you let me know if it's different for you, but it feels to me like Tennessee is more aligned than, than they've ever been, at least that I can recall and and I think they are set up well to handle any and all adversity that's coming their way with these uh, pending NCAA investigation. What's your thoughts on that? Well, they have a strong chancellor. Dondi Plowman um, has has sort of navigated some some rough seas already. You know, with the Jeremy Pruitt NCAA uh, investigation and um, the sanctions and probation. Of course, Tennessee was not really sanction that heavily if you don't count the eight million dollars they had to pay now that's that's not a that's not just a, a little chunk of change that's a lot of money and i think if they don't pay that kind of money they would have gotten some type of postseason ban but now here we are again uh, in the nil investigation and i think a lot of people around college football say wait a minute you're, you're investigating a school for for breaking nil rules when everyone's sort of doing the same thing and, and i think with the ncaa is saying hey you guys were doing this before, you know, it really became a no-no, so to speak. You know, you couldn't do it. So I, I don't know where all this lands, but I do agree with you. I think from the president, Randy Boyd, to the chancellor, Dondi Plowman, to heck, every politician in the state of Tennessee, the governor, the state attorney general, the mayor of Knoxville, is all coming out guns a-blazing against the NCAA. How dare you go against our laws? How dare you wag your finger and say you guys cheated and broke the rules? So there's definitely solidarity there. We'll see where it all ends up. You know, I wish if I could go back and redo something, I would be an attorney. I'd be Tom Mars. I'd be some attorney, you know, where you could get on these billable hours because those are the guys who are making out like bandits right now. You know, if, if you have anything to do with any of this stuff in court, an attorney where you're representing a school or a collective, those are the people that are cashing in big time at the bank. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Chris, I'm really going to put you on a spot here. Of all your years covering the SEC, who's the best quarterback, SEC quarterback, 
that that you've covered? That that is a hard one. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to cop out a little bit here on you. The best year, the best year for any quarterback I ever saw in the SEC was Cam Newton in 2010. And I know right now LSU fans are saying, "Wait a minute, what about Joey Burrow?" Burrow's season was unbelievable, and what he did numbers-wise, they won a national championship. But I say Cam because when you look at what he had around him versus what Burrow had around him at LSU, go look at how many people on that on that Auburn offense were drafted, offensive linemen, running backs, receivers, versus that LSU team. That doesn't diminish in any way what Burrow did. But I've never seen a better season from a quarterback than I saw from Cam Newton. He essentially lifted that Auburn team up on his shoulders and delivered a national championship. He was unstoppable. I covered probably, I don't know, five games that year live, probably six counting the BCS championship game, the SEC championship game. And I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback on third and three, third and four down the red zone who was more unstoppable than he was that year in 2010. So for one season, Cam Cam Newton was the best. The best I've ever seen – Golly, that's uh, you know Tim Tebow was unbelievable. You know he was just just the way he was so dominant again in third and long. But he had a lot of great players around him. You know Percy Harvin. Um, that's a if I go all the way back to the you know to the eighties to the nineties. Um, you know there's so many you know so many great quarterbacks who come through the SEC, but. Just in the last, certainly in the last 20 years, I think that's the season that Cam had. I don't know that we'll see that duplicated where someone is that good with good players around him, but not great players around him. I'd say the most underrated SEC quarterback I saw play is uh, Connor Shaw at South Carolina, what he did in that three-year stretch. You go back and look what he did at a school that has not won at a high level at all, South Carolina, 11, 12, and 13, and they went 11 games for three straight years and finishing the top ten, he was the heartbeat of those teams under Steve Spurrier, and played hurt, played when he wasn't one hundred percent, was an, an unbelievable leader. I've always said I thought Connor was in my time of covering the SEC uh, was as underrated quarterback as I saw play. You know, and, and you, I know everyone's going to say Peyton Manning and and Danny Warfel. Uh, Warfel did win the Heisman, Peyton didn't. Of course, don't bring up the word Heisman around Tennessee fans. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, those were two supremely talented guys. Peyton's one of the top three or four quarterbacks to ever play the game. Um, and I know he gets a lot of a lot of uh, grief because, you know, he didn't beat Florida as a starter. And they didn't win a national championship. But he, you know, talent-wise and what he went on to become, you know, he's, you know, I think he's, that I've seen live in the SEC, he's probably the best ever. But for one season, I'd put what Cam Newton did in 2010 against anybody. Well, I'm glad you you added that at the end because I was going to say, Chris, everybody's going to agree with you, facetious, but you know, obviously not. That they're going to be. I can't wait to see the comments for this one. But uh, last thing for you, Chris, really appreciate your time. With Nick Saban retiring, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. Most people have him, and in my opinion, the greatest college coach of all time. I don't, I don't even think it's comparable given the era that he coached in. But there is a void now. There's a, there's a void in the SEC. There's a void in college football, quite frankly. But 
So just maybe like a little bit of a prediction that no one has the answer to, but what, what does college football look like without Nick Saban? Because, uh, you know, he was great for Alabama. He was, you could argue, terrible for the SEC because he got every coach, basically every school to fire their coach at least once, if not twice. And I'm a Tennessee graduate. He, he got our coach fired about five times here, just how dominant he was. So do you think it's just Georgia now is a, is a dominant factor in the SEC? Or do you think it could just – it could kind of be, you know, a year-to-year -year proposition to where, you know, maybe one year it's LSU, one year it's Oklahoma, one year it's Texas, on and on and on. How, how do you think the future of the SEC looks like without the greatest coach of all time being on the sidelines? Yeah, maybe there won't be as many buyouts that other schools are having to pay their coaches. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Tennessee. I think what Auburn pay, what, nearly $40 million for two guys to go away? Harson and, and Gus, so... <laughs> That's, you know, there's a lot of, you start talking about Nick's impact, there's a lot of it out there, but just the, the, the dollars that schools paid during his 17 years at Alabama for coaches not to coach, you're talking about in the hundreds of millions of dollars, which is crazy. Um, I, I do think what you said, I think it's probably going to be, a, there's going to be more of a pathway for two reasons, that Nick's not there and the, the playoffs going to 12 teams more of a pathway or a wider pathway for more teams to get to being truly nationally relevant. And to me, if you're in the playoff, you're nationally relevant. And not that Kalen DeBoer won't have a ton of success. I think it's crazy that people are already saying, well, he's not going to make it. It was bad hire. Or, you know, hey, hey, first of all, the guy had the stones to, to, to walk in behind Nick Saban. Not a lot of people did or would have. He's got that type of confidence. Uh, he's won everywhere he's been. I mean, he's a guy that his, his style of play will attract. Kids will want to come play, certainly in his offense. But he ain't Nick Saban. Nobody's ever going to be Nick Saban again. And I think when you look around the league, no one would ever say it. But I guarantee you there's schools saying, all right, here's our here's our chance. You know, yeah, Kirby and, and Georgia, they're the top dog part fun. But there's going to be other schools from the SEC that will have a shot to get in to the playoffs. It's not just going to be Alabama and Georgia all the time. And whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I guarantee you some schools are thinking like that. And and in the world of portal and NIL, you know, you mentioned Missouri earlier. We mentioned uh, Ole Miss. Tennessee's been very aggressive, which the NCAA would, would second that right now in their NIL approach. Um, I don't think – that Florida, you know, this is a big year for Billy Napier. There's no way Florida is going to stay down forever. It, it's there's too much talent in that in that state, and that's just too good of a football school. Um, LSU, you know, look at LeBron Kenham. They in his first year get to the so there's there's a lot of schools out there. I do think you're going to see more schools in that playoff, and maybe some of the not so usual suspects that will have a shot. You know, and you throw in Texas and OU into that mix. You know, it's going to be – I'll say this, too. The other part of that is I think the pressure is going to ratchet up more than ever on coaches because now with what everyone's paying their coach, with the money that boosters are pumping into NIL and the fact that there's more spots in the playoff, all those schools I just mentioned to you, every one of them, I guarantee you, if you went to their booster club meeting tomorrow or next week, would tell you, that we definitely should be in the playoff every year. Not every year, <laughs> two out of every three. Well, if you do the math, then it's not possible. <laughs> right. So 
these guys that are coaching in the SEC, think about this. Just five years ago, just five years ago, the only two coaches in the SEC that are still in their current job are Kirby Smart and Mark Stoops. Those are the only two. And that counts the two new schools, Sark at Texas and Brent at OU. So I think the pressure is going to just go out the roof. That schools, if they don't make the playoff, the playoff has already sort of become the end all in college football. We've seen what it's done to the bowls. You wait now. It's going to become everything. If you do not make the playoff, boosters, chancellors, presidents, the heavy hitters at those schools are going to be more impatient than ever. And they're going to want a new a new coin, a new penny. They're going to bring in a coach, and they're going to be willing to pay whatever they need to to do that. Uh, so I think the pressure, people say, well, how, how will the playoff change college football, the, the expanded format? That's the, what I think will happen more than anything. I think the pressure will be uh, just absolutely overwhelming. Well, I know the coaches don't have any say in it, Chris, but I'm sure that if they, they could, they'd reach out to Greg Sankey and say, please get us more at-large bids to this playoff for our sakes. You know what? Well, I think if Greg Sankey had his way, it'd be, there'd be 12 at-large. <laughs> I think I really do. And I, and I think, you know, the chairman, the, the chairman of the, the playoff committee is, is Dr. Mark Keenum there at Mississippi State. And it was last year, a year and a half, he proposed a, a playoff with all at-large schools you know there is no automatic berth in if you win a conference championship i have no quite i have no doubt that if if you pump truth serum into greg sankey right now (laughs) he would say he'd be totally fine with a playoff that was just completely out large now what you'd have it'd be be all big 10 all sec you'd Mm -hmm. probably have seven and seven and five six and six you know depending on the year maybe somebody in the big 12 sneaks in maybe clemson if they get back or florida state um, but no, I, I think that's, you know, it, and, you know, with, with the latest news that the Big Ten and the SEC are forming, and not, not an alliance, mind you, but an advisory committee. The alliance, I guess the alliance days are over in college football. <laughs> sort of sounds like something you'd see in pro wrestling. Um, but they're, they're, they're forming an advisory committee. You know what the translation is? We're going to do it our way, the way we want to do it, the Big Ten and the SEC. And if the rest of you guys don't get on board, We'll do our own thing. We'll have our own playoff, our own league. And so maybe maybe this is a step. They won't say it. Greg Sankey would never say it. But maybe this is a step towards some type of break in college football away from everybody else. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Chris, for joining the show. I hope you all appreciated that conversation. Hope to have him back some point in the future. That was uh, that was really great stuff. And I I told him off air. I, I saw him at media days. He was very busy. He was running all over the place, you know, writing features and hounding all these coaches and everything. But I was, I was, I mean, we were busy too, but I was intimidated to go to, I mean, if Chris Lowe, he don't even know who the hell I am or anything like that. That's what I thought. So I just, I did not try to wrangle him to, to get him over to our booth. But next media days in Dallas, if I see him down there, you better believe I'm going to have him at our booth. But uh, that, that was a treat. It's, it's weird doing this show and it gets bigger and bigger and people that you you grow up reading all their stuff, seeing them on TV. Now you're having face-to-face with, over all live, but still having conversations with people. Uh, that, that to me, it, it kind of means just about more than just about anything. So I uh, truly appreciate Chris joining this show. And again, we got plenty more guests like this coming up. Stay tuned. Great conversations all off-season long. I hope you all appreciate the hard work we're putting in. More in-studio guests coming up to uh, in the near future. Nothing this week or anything, but 
We're going to keep grinding hard to make this the most entertaining show, SEC football show, in-season, off-season, everything coming your way. So we do appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.